So this is something that goes back a long ways and it still holds true. If you want something that's gonna, you know, be cheap and be really good, it's gonna take you a long time to do it. If you want something that's gonna be really fast and really good, that's gonna cost you a lot of money. And if you want something that's gonna be, you know, fast and cheap, well, you're probably not getting the best quality. Welcome back to Nothing Shines Like Dirt, empowering actors to create episode 21. I'm Elise Siebert. And I'm Leslie Shannon. Today is the first episode of our first feature series. Today's topic is production sound, and our location audio expert is Seth Granger. We dive into the nuances of equipment, negotiating your sound budget, and the unwritten rule of the the triangle triangle theory for filmmaking. But anyway, um, but yeah, the whole, I, I dig it. The whole, and, and going to, going to Graceland for the first time, I really thought I was going to go and laugh about it as like, what a, what a goofy, like over the top thing. But by the end of the whole thing, by the end of the tour, I really, I had a whole new appreciation for Elvis Presley as an entertainer in a way that I had never before, like a grown up, he was always you knew the name and the king of rock and roll and all this kind of stuff. But the image that sticks is that cartoony Vegas era, like, you know, fat wiping the sweat away and these like over the top gold. And you lose, I, I think for me anyway, I, I had lost the perspective of, of where he had come from before that and all the things he had done before that. And then even then, by the time you get to that point of his career, He's still a ridiculously talented entertainer, and yeah. he's still a it like and and it was it was a oh, holy shit like you know it it was it was a neat moment anyway. That's yeah. cool. When I think of Elvis, I um, went to school. My friend Joy Vass, I went to elementary school with. Her mom was obsessed with Elvis, and their whole basement, like floor to ceiling pictures, paraphernalia, like like anything Elvis. It was incredible. That's what I think of when I think. Ask her (laughs) next time you talk to her. Ask her if she's ever heard of Artie Mentz. Okay, who is Artie Mentz? Artie Mentz. This is reveals far more about my childhood than perhaps I should be (laughs) revealing. So, Artie Mentz. My parents used to watch these documentaries about Elvis fans that would make the pilgrimage and that you know would stand there and shake and have tears and all the rest of it, the whole emotional experience that was all bound up in it. And somewhat evilly, they they found that hilarious. <laughs> and, and so I found it hilarious as well growing up because that's what I saw. And I remember they had a video that was an, it was an interview done with like hardcore Elvis Presley fans. And there was this one, there was... Um, there was the the Mexican Elvis impersonator named Elvez. This was the, I know there's the restaurant in the city called Elvez, which sort of riffs on that. They I don't know where they got that from, but I know this Elvez predated that. Um, but there was a guy. His name was Artie Mentz, and he I would laugh my ass off at him because he would impersonate Elvis and sing his songs. And he was terrible at it. He was absolutely terrible. He miserable, didn't sound like him, didn't look like him, didn't act like him. But you knew he, in his mind. And I swear to God, he had um, he had a daughter named Pepper. 
It's like the start of the trend for that was that was all thing, <laughs> and and he became a bit from from what I understand he became a bit of a thing. So uh, so some of the hardcore Elvis Presley fans know of this guy. So okay. ask I ask will. if they know about Artie Mendes. I've heard of him. Have you really? Have yeah. you really? Yeah. That's phenomenal. well. I'm from I'm from Mississippi originally, of so course. people are obsessed with Elvis because he grew up. I've been to the house. I've never yeah. I've never actually been into Graceland, but I've been to the house that he grew up in. Nice. The real the, the one room like shack. Nice. That he grew up in, yeah. So, it's a part of life. It is interesting how people impersonate him all over. Like that's a big thing. Yeah, I, I can't think of another iconic pop star that people. I mean, I guess there's a handful of them, but not really that many. Mm. I don't know. Oh well. Either. This well, is this is exactly what we wanted to talk about. Well, right? that's okay. <laughs> I, that's all right. We can talk that's about Elvis. Right. Elvis yeah. is a singer, and we're talking about sound, this so it all so it's all connected. <laughs> so we are making a feature film, mm-hmm. really, really low budget, and we wanted to talk about sound today. And we know how important sound is okay. for a project. Everybody says they know how important sound is. Uh, they yeah, but <laughs> no, that's like the but opposite. It is. I feel being being married to a sound engineer, I really know how important sound yes. is. And it uh, if your sound is shitty, your film is shitty. Yeah. The like, oh, we'll fix it in post. You, you really can't do that when it comes to sound. I mean, you can like no. adjust certain things, but you have to have good. It has to be recorded well to begin with. It. I mean, it for a feature, it depends on. Uh, honestly, it comes down to budget. Right. You know, if you are talking, I, I always said, you know, thought to myself, um, and I, I have not done any of the truly big budget feature things. And to be perfectly honest, it's been a while. I haven't done very much narrative film projects recently. Anyway, I kind of got sucked into that whole reality nonsense, <laughs> which oh, I want to talk about that. Too. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a different animal. It's, uh, you know, yeah. but every now and then one comes along and that's awesome when it yes. does. It's super exciting. Um, but as a, as a location sound engineer, my best chance for being able to influence, hopefully positively, uh, the production is if I am on a low budget feature, if I'm on a reality show, 99% of them, they, it's now established that they don't care about things like, oh yeah, there's the mic pack or, oh, there's this horrible sound going on in the background and we can barely hear what they're saying, but we'll just subtitle it and it'll be fine. Like that's now an accepted thing wow. in most reality shows. That's yeah, I guess. You're right. Um, I don't watch them, so I don't know, but I know what you're talking you're about. You're not missing a thing. Um, <laughs> 99% of the time you're not missing a thing. There are a couple of interesting ones out there, but they're few and far between. Um, so that's sort of, you know, that's one extreme that way. If you're on a big budget film, the location mixer's job, and again, consider the source because I haven't actually been on any of those things, but essentially you are providing a scratch track because what's going to happen for the really big budget Hollywood things is all you're doing is providing, you know, the ADR guys something to bring when they bring the cast back into the studio they're giving them something to match up and sing along with, right. you know? So, so, and it makes sense for that because when you've got it in the studio and it's all controlled there, then of course it's all completely even throughout. You've got much more control over it. And when you have the money to effectively pay an actor for two days when they're only doing, you know what I mean? As Versus opposed to the one. one plus doing all that, it makes sense to do it. So that midpoint where you've got a, a lower budget indie film, those are the, those are the times where 
I, as a location mixer, actually get to say, hey, you're thinking about shooting in this location or you're thinking about shooting a scene in this way. These problems are going to come up. And whereas in either one of the other two examples that I gave, the answer is going to be like, yeah, don't worry about it for, right. for different reasons, but ultimately do the best you can. Don't worry about it. In that sweet spot of a, of a small film uh, where they don't have the money to try to bring everyone back into ADR, where the idea is to use the location sound in the final mix and in the, in the final cut, um, then that's something where the producers can often actually listen to me and, and take my <laughs> thoughts into consideration and we can try to work together a little bit more, which personally is always, it, it's certainly a, a much more fun experience because I'm not just punching the clock. Well, you know, I'm not just showing up and doing my job. It's yeah it, yeah, it it makes everyone feel more a part of the whole thing. You're all in this together. It's um, a collaboration, a yeah. team effort as and, opposed to... Exactly. And that happens with films usually anyway. Um, you know, I came up doing features. Uh, before, you know, the first half of my career was, was doing features. Uh, and that's the one thing more than anything else that I do miss about them from most reality shows is that there is this sense of we're all in this together. We're all trying to make something. I, I, I oftentimes describe it that with features, you want the audience to laugh with you. Whereas with reality shows, you want the audience to laugh at you. <laughs> and it is. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's basically the fundamental dynamic between what's going on. You know, when you are making a feature, um, and I, I don't care what the tone of the feature is. I don't care what genre it is. None mm -hmm. of that matters. You are trying to add something. You are trying to give something that the audience can appreciate and that will in some way. How how it does this is obviously that takes many forms. But in some way you're trying to enrich the audience and uh and and add something to their life. You're trying to maybe they see something in a different way. Maybe they laugh at something. Maybe they think about something that they hadn't thought about before. Whereas most reality shows, um, especially some of the some of the horrible ones that everyone knows about uh, and has heard of, even if you haven't seen them, um, they are they are an escape. They are basically a way for people to say, "Man, my life sucks, but at least it's not that." <laughs> so it's setting up this comparative sort of dynamic between the audience and the people that you're presenting them with where they are there the whole point is for the audience member to kind of feel better about themselves by by proxy by you know um so when it comes to hiring for a feature hiring yes. sound um what are what are the things that as a sound engineer and as a production audio that you want to know like what are the what are the how what is the conversation how do people need to approach you and talk for about a feature yes the first thing i want to know is um you know i, I personally I, I love hearing about what the generally what the plot is and what the genre is um because there is no doubt that certain certain types of movies and certain storylines and everything will get you even more excited perhaps you know so that's that's always a nice thing um from a practical perspective, the things that I want to know are what kind of locations. Uh, I always ask for a copy of the script. If I'm going to do it, I need to read that. Need to read uh, whatever the latest copy of the script is that that's available. 
I need to read through that so that I can see what the scenes are, see what the locations are, see how many cast members in, are going to be in a given scene. Um, you know, based on what the location is, I already can start thinking about what sort of ambient issues are we going to be likely to face. Uh, you know, are we outside near the water on, you know, are we in a kitchen somewhere in a restaurant, like all these things that all have their own different sets of ambient issues. Um, and that, you know, that comes down to just the whole philosophy of, of location mixing in general, or at least my philosophy of location mixing in general. Um, but pretty much that's where I that's where I start. That's where you start. And and yeah. beyond that, to me it's pretty simple. If if I if I know the people personally that are calling me up and asking me to do this project, well then already they've got a huge leg up. Like, you know, yes, I know you, I'd like you, I wanna help you, let's do it. I don't care what the project is on some level. Um if it's a cold call where I've never met these people before, you know, referral of referral of referral, and that's how they got my name. Um, you know, let's be honest, I'm not going to turn it down anyway. That's the nature of the freelance work. But <laughs> um, pretending for a moment that I work enough to say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that one hypothetically. Um, then, yeah, to know what the project is going to be um, gets me excited about what the project is. And then at that point, it's just a matter of knowing what the different scenarios are that I'm going to be facing, you know, and, and, um, I don't know at, at this point, I don't know if I've been doing it long enough for, or too long. No, not too long. I still enjoy it too much. Um, but, uh, at this point I just, you know, the, the specifics of my job, the general outline of my job as a location mixer, honestly does not change all that much from project to project, you know, um, at the end of the day, my job is to make sure we hear what we want to hear and make sure we don't hear what we don't want to hear. Right. And that is, it's a really simple sort of axiom to, to go by, you know, mm -hmm. how you do those things that that's where a lot of the creativity comes in, in terms of trying to figure out how do we work around this? How do we work around that? You know, um, strange costumes because it's like a weird sci-fi thing like you know how do you how do you put the mics on someone for that uh you know we're shooting at a working airport because we can't afford to actually shut it down how are we going to adjust and accommodate and and work around those sort of situations like all those different things um and that's the information that i get from reading the script and seeing what it is that they're that they're hoping to get and if i see something that really looks problematic um that's when, you know, assuming they've now officially said, yes, you're hired, let's do this. Uh, then at that point, that's when we start the conversation about what what issues I'm seeing from the script that might come up. Um, and we try to, you know, just troubleshoot and problem solve and all those other buzzwords about, <laughs> you know, how do we how do we find how do we find a solution that everyone knows ahead of time? So that, you know, there aren't any surprises and that uh, everyone can ultimately live with, you know, um, and a lot of times it's not going to be the ideal situation either for production or for me. You know, there does have to be some of that give and take to some degree. Um, but as long as it as it, as long as it winds up being 
as good as it can be given the parameters that we've agreed on, then then that I think is, you know, as long as you're meeting that, then mm-hmm. then that's pretty much all you can really ask for. Yeah. Do you have any stories of like nightmare locations that you came up yes. with some like really clever solution or maybe not? Hmm. <laughs> or you yeah. have to, but just like kind yeah, of think that like, people should try to avoid. Um, if you, especially if you're on low budget and you don't have the money to. I'm trying to think. To not. Uh, that's that's a good question. I'm trying to think if there were any uh, <laughs> any especially bad ones. Um, I mean, there have been some terrible shooting locations. Uh, the ones that I've had to deal with recently are, again, they tend to be in the reality format. So it's really, it's not production saying, hey, there are these issues. Post, of course, is saying, hey, there are these issues. Um, uh, and it's too that's, late for them then. Exactly. Um, well, that's that's actually another part of it. Uh, mentally, I always have to remember that even though I'm working with production on set, Ultimately, I work for post. Right. You know, I need to make sure that they are getting what they need. Um, so, so I'm running around like a madman trying to, you know, do this or do that in order to to minimize things. I was um, uh, did three seasons of a reality show um, the past three years that uh, it was a working office. Um, everybody, you know, full full office out in New Jersey that everyone was there and working and. They were kind enough to let us film them sometimes and work with us whenever they could, but they actually had real jobs and they were actually doing real things and <laughs> and we couldn't really interfere with that. So in the middle of the summer, we could not, other than for a few exceptions, we could not turn like, you know, they had these massive air conditioning vents that were blowing that were horrible i mean you've never heard and and the dynamic shift between them was awful because when they were off it was actually a really quiet office the entire office was carpeted there was it was it was actually a very quiet office all things considered um and then when the air came on it 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 was because they only had these two vents that were supposed to cool down this entire... The office was a converted uh, warehouse. Oh, my gosh. So they had these two <laughs> massive vents that were designed to cool off this entire... I don't know what the square footage is, but, I mean, it was this huge space. Um, so they had to be massive, and they had to be huge. So, you know, um, I was able to talk with, with their operations, and and we were able to work out some you know an interview schedule where uh some interviews only happened um you know after five o'clock when most of the people were gone Mm -hmm. so we had to work around that um there were a couple times if if we knew we had a big a big scene or sequence coming up then we had to let them know ahead of time that hey from for you know this two hour window we're gonna have to turn off the air and then it it fell on uh, you know, they helped us out, but ultimately that then became part of my responsibility to blast the air as much as I possibly could leading up to that moment so that, you know, the cooling off period that happened would be minimized. Um, as far as, I mean, as far as feature stuff goes, it, it really, I am, I'm trying to think of any like truly horrendous, <laughs> truly well, horrendous. Well, you ones. don't even realize until you put the headphones on 
that's hooked up to the microphones, like yes. the littlest noises. You you don't even realize it when you when you're your not brain listening. is constantly filtering out all yeah. that stuff. You yeah. know, if you go to a concert, you could stand ten feet away from some massive speaker, and yet you could still carry on a conversation with someone. Difficult, but you can still do it, and that's because your brain is constantly filtering out all the things that it doesn't want to pay attention to. And the microphones aren't that smart. That's why the location mixer is there, is we we make those microphones, we think for the microphones. Um, you're, the, you're the microphone's extra ears. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But the mics themselves, they don't have that ability. They pick up everything. and And so that's where... You know, that's where, yes, the second you put those headphones on and you start hearing what's actually going on around as opposed to what your brain is processing and, and filtering, you're getting this sort of automatically edited version of sound when you just use your ears. And, yeah, for sure. You know, <laughs> when your parents told you that you had selective hearing as a kid, they're right. Like, that's, <laughs> that is exactly Do your girls have selective hearing? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course they do. And I have to understand that, yeah. I guess, because of my profession. <laughs> I have to give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. So, um, so lav versus boom. So we're yep. talking like super ultra low, low budget. When, when yep. are situations that you say lav is there is no other option than to have a lav? Like you need a lav if you want the sound to be good, as opposed to um, booming. Well. For for features in particular, um, I, I've always found that the boom, I mean, historically, the boom has always been the primary mic uh, used on features because, you know, in, in the history of in the history of the talkies, um, <laughs> you know, you, lobs are a relatively recent thing or certainly they're more recent than than the stick mics were in the boom mics. Um there are a lot of actors and a lot of, you know, uh, especially established actors I've had to work with that um, they hate wearing loves and, and, you know, would go at, can I, can I name, can I badmouth someone here? Is that a problem? It's a, yeah, it's, it's, up it's up to you. It's up to you. Yeah, it's probably not a good thing. Uh, there was a, there was you an can, actor you who. Can just, you can speak of them. You don't have to say their yes. name. Yes. Uh, he was, uh, he was a very famous actor in the 80s. Uh, people still know his name, although he's not working quite as much anymore. Um, who hated wearing, hated wearing a love. And uh, we had to put him on him for one scene. It was it was a scene of him having a conversation with someone while walking up this three flight staircase. And um, I was actually booming this one at the time. This was a long time ago, so I was still a boom operator. I wasn't a mixer yet at this point. But um, you know, I'm I'm walking up the stairs with the boom inverted, pointing down a full flight up ahead of them, and trying to match their motions as I'm as I'm. Eeks, sorry, um, <laughs> uh, but we needed. It was a tough environment, and the boom wasn't always working because of the camera angles looking up and all the rest of it. Um, and uh, the mixer that was working for us said, "No, we need we need to have a lab on this in order to to cover ourselves." And they fought with him and the producers finally said, no, you, you need to wear this love for this scene. We'll take it off of you as soon as you, as soon as we can, but for the scene, we need it. And the second we put the love on him, all of a sudden his character, 
uh, felt the need that he should be taking off the sweater in the middle of the scene while he's while oh, he's, he's doing a smart that. Smart actor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you call him smart. Well, I call him. I mean, ass. to get his way. <laughs> to get his way. Yes, he, that, you know, that's like a very this, asshole thing. To yeah, do. But, but yes, she means smart to get his ass. way. Clever. Yeah. He's a smart Clever. Ass. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that was, I mean, that was actually, that was actually a bit of a nightmare that I remember we had to deal with. Um, <laughs> in hindsight, looking at that one, just because he, anyway, um, there, there was no need for it. I'm yeah. sorry. There was, yeah, there was, I, I'm all for actors stretching their character and developing them thoroughly and coming up with all these things, but I'm sorry. <laughs> there are very few reasons why a character needs to be walking upstairs, having a conversation and removing their sweater at the same time. <laughs> I'm not saying it can't happen. That was not one of the things. <laughs> there was just no reason for it. Anyway. Um, so in situations where a boom cannot follow. So basically uh, what you're what you're talking about, the, the primary things where a lav would be considered a primary as opposed to a boom. Um, certainly if you are talking about any kind of super wide angle shot, um, you know, as that... As that camera lens gets bigger and bigger and bigger, well, smaller and smaller and smaller, depending on how you think about it. Exactly. If you're talking seven millimeter, okay, that's big frame is yeah. what I'm talking about. Um, you know, the wider the wider that gets, if you're actually having conversation um, between, between two cast members uh, in this big, huge wide shot or some long shot where they're, you know, way the hell away... Um, that's a situation where you do you can utilize and make and make good use of um of that wireless microphone reach because you can get further away than you would i mean yeah, i'm not getting in that shot the longest booms out there um are about 18 feet long and believe me that's that's a hefty boom when you've got that out at full extension. Well, that's hard to hold for that long too. Nah, you get used to it. Right? <laughs> no. That, no. If if you are a sound guy and you are on set, you know that that comes with the job. Right. You get used to it. And you yes, find ways yes. to do it and make it bearable. Um, but I, I personally have, I have the utmost respect for people who figure out ways to rest themselves while booming as best they can and make and <laughs> make it as least taxing as possible that i am all for and i applaud but uh complaining that you have to do it yeah, or being no, upset like definitely. no that's that's your job you, <laughs> yeah. you figure out a way to do it it is one of the most taxing jobs on set i mean if not the most be- no. because i mean it's well it's like anything else you get used to it you know, yeah. It, yeah. It, I I could sit there. I I did. All right. Here's here's an example. I did a uh, uh, an improv. Um, it was an improv feature, basically, about a bunch of comedians. And because they were all comedians, they wanted them all to have free reign to sort of riff on whatever they were doing, which was fine. Um, and there was one scene where the cast, which I believe was seven of them all together, were all in um, a a short yellow school bus. We were driving somewhere. I don't remember where we were driving, but that's irrelevant. Um, so I've got seven of these comedians all sitting in different different chairs, cameras all the way in the back of the bus. We're driving. We're actually driving along the highways. We're doing this. And I am trying to both mix 
and boom, because they're all <laughs> sitting in weird positions and leaning back, which means their mics are getting twisted out of position and all the rest of it. And I have no idea who's going to say what or when. Uh, and because it's an that improv. That sounds like a pretty nightmare it was, thing for, I mean, challenging, challenging. Well, no, but that's yeah. no exaggeration. That's the thing. Yes, it was a pain in the ass in some respects, but at the same time, I'm sitting there going like, all right, this, like I'm, I'm getting into it and trying to like, you know, I'm watching everybody's <laughs> mouths to see who's going to talk next and trying to, you know, <laughs> but we're doing these because it was improv again. Every single take was, I mean, that was 45 minutes. I mean, literally, we were driving for like 45, 50 minutes straight that I had to have the boom ride yeah. in the ceiling along this whole thing. That was the other thing, too, is that, you know, the ceiling of these buses oh, yeah. don't go up very far. Mm -hmm. So if you're standing while driving, which is hard enough, and I've got the rig on me and I've got my hand up there, like my knuckles are, my, my back knuckle they was kind of scraping They should have had a camera on you. That sounds was, hysterical. Um, but that's the thing. I, I didn't think of that when you first asked me about it because... That part of the in hindsight, that wasn't a nightmare. That's almost like a like, yeah, all right. That's yeah. like a little source of pride yes. that I was able to pull that off. Like yeah. that was cool. Um, and so that's, but you know, whatever. That's that's my attitude and approach to the whole thing. So, um, so yeah. So going back to the question, as I'm, <laughs> um, yeah. So the yes, super wide angles, angle shots where you do have um, conversation. That's certainly a big one. Now. If it's too wide, if it's so wide that you can't actually see their mouths moving, then it becomes a non-sync shot, which gives you a little more flexibility. At that point, you can, you know, and again, with most features, I've learned it's very rare that you have some super wide master shot that you're not also going to punch in and do coverage on. Mm -hmm. That's pretty rare it happens from time to time and when those moments happen that's when it becomes a little more critical to have all of those flexibilities um the other thing though at this point is that um you know for love versus boom mike it's it's they both have sort of their their own strengths and and to be able to utilize both of them i mean we're we're at the point now location wise where um you know nobody Practically nobody is doing, you know, mono or just stereo recording anymore. Like I, I can still remember when I first started doing this, getting into it and um, and and doing jobs with that old quarter inch mag tape Nagra, which is kind of a tricky kind of thing. But that's that's a mono recording. That is one track. Um, so you had to, if you were going to give post any sort of flexibility, you had to do it multiple times. You had to, you had to pick, you know, as soon as the scene was done while they're setting up for the next scene, you would bring the talent over and, and, you know, have them do like a quick run through of the scene as well. Dialogue wise, just so that post had some other things that they might be able to, to drop in, wow. you know, so you're basically doing not strictly ADR because it's not it's not that precise, mm -hmm. but at least it gives them a little bit more flexibility, you know, and if you did it soon enough right after the scene, then the actors were still sort of in the flow of the whole thing. And they were surprisingly good at being able to match the same sort of cadence and, and timing of the whole scene. Um, yeah. If you did it, if you did like it sooner. like professionals or something. Well, <laughs> a, a lot of them are. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, can't speak for all of them, but some of them certainly are. Um, but uh, but now, you know, most most everyone is going to be rolling on either a four track or an eight track, and 
I think any any sound guy should be at least trying to give as many options as possible to post. So from that angle, you know, the boom mic, in rough terms, the boom mic is a better quality microphone. Um, pound for pound, you know, a top-notch boom mic versus a top-notch uh, lav mic, the boom mic is going to sound better. It's going to be a richer sound, a fuller sound. It's going to, it's just going to be more pleasing to the ear. The lav mic, what that usually does, uh, the advantage of a lav mic, uh, in addition to just the, the the physicality of it where, you know, it's, it's right there, um, the lav mic will help minimize, um, it'll help, help minimize uh, perspective change because that mic is constantly in one place. Um, and if you don't have a good boom operator who knows how to a a account for that and adjust for that with the boom, then you can, you know, a bad boom mic, you can do this kind of thing. And then all of a sudden they're talking over here, and then you, <laughs> you know, like, so there's, um, only not, it wouldn't be the, it wouldn't be the, the talent talking. What it would be is that as the mic changes position, it's picking up the ambience from over here versus the ambience from over there. Mm-hmm. And that dynamic shifts around and that can be jarring sometimes for the audience. Um, so a lav mic, uh, can help avoid that. A lav mic also generally, um, doesn't pick up as much sound. It doesn't have as large a field. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't have the reach that most boom microphones do. Um, and where you can use that is that can help you actually isolate the talent better. Um, a well-placed microphone, if you can get it in the right spot, and of course, depending on what the costume and what the wardrobes are, that's not always possible. But if you can get a good lav mic in into a really good spot on, on the wardrobe, then you can you can dial it back a little bit and and effectively shrink shrink its field so that it is only really picking up um, the talent and what they're saying. I mean, yes, you will hear other things behind for sure, but compared to again compared to a boom mic, it will be that stuff will be pushed down and it'll be a, it'll effectively be a quieter microphone in some respects. Uh, it, and it does allow for a bit more isolation of, of, uh, of lines, which is really what you're kind of hoping for. Um, so it does have its uses, you know, and again, it comes down to each production is going to have to decide, you know, where do they fit along the, you know, bang for your buck versus, you know, quality, you know, there's the, the, the triangle is used in, uh, the triangle metaphor is used in, in production all the time, which you guys probably know of the whole, you know, you've got a triangle and one side is the cost and one side is the time and one side is the quality. And you get to pick two of those, <laughs> you know, and, and it is true. I, I, one of my, one of my earliest mentors when I first got into the business told me about that and he'd been, he had been mixing features and, and stuff like that since the seventies. Um, so this is something that goes back a long ways and it still holds true. If you want something that's going to, you know, be cheap and be really good, it's going to take you a long time to do it. If you want something that's going to be really fast and really good, that's going to cost you a lot of money. And if you want something that's going to be, you know, fast and cheap, well, you're probably not getting the best quality. <laughs> 
you know you I like that i've i mean i've heard like variances of that but i've never heard that exact mm-hmm. thing but it's so true <laughs> I, I always think of the triangle with finding apartments in New York mm. City. It's like convenience, <laughs> price, or space. Yes. And it's the same thing. You get two out of the three. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. Yeah. We know that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody's going to come and approach you and they have, like, what are, what sort of cost should they expect with a, with a sound engineer on set? I personally hate that question. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I don't hate that you. I don't hate that you asked it. I'm saying because it's a question that gets asked all the time. It's it's effectively, what's your day rate? What's your gear going to cost? Right. And I hate that question. From I hate getting asked that question. Not because because I hate answering it. Mm. That is one of the things that always struggles with because in my head. I'm sitting there going, and this, again, this is a little, I hope no other sound mixers think I'm selling them out by by revealing this. Or maybe <laughs> it's just me that thinks this way. I don't know. Um, but in my head, that immediately sets up the struggle between, on the one hand, um, I don't want to inadvertently price myself out, especially if this is a project that, I, that I'm that i kind of excited about and, and looking forward to possibly doing. Um, I certainly, you know, especially if it's been like a little cold stretch, I certainly don't want to miss out on work completely because that's, you know, bad work is better than no work, you know. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, I want to get paid a fair rate. Like, you know. You're you're talking about the struggle that as actors we go through. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Freelance. This is just a freelance problem, I think. Yes. This is absolutely true. We've all got our own little takes on it. so from that perspective, I, I've i been doing it now long enough that I do have um, a, a sort of range that is my typical. Like I've, I've, I've been working long enough that I've been able to come up with, all right, this is what I'm typically paid. Right. Yeah. So, and, it, and for sure, you don't necessarily have to give your rates. I'm just trying to, because what we yeah. want to do is provide an opportunity for people to kind of understand how much money they need to budget, how much they need to save in order to make sure that they can... Oh, I got um, you. Um, they can pay and have sound. Money well, again, that they want. so so here's the other thing is that I always, when I'm talking money with a production, I'm always talking about I like to give them options in terms of what kind of gear. The, right. I I can be flexible with my rate, um, and I can certainly be flexible with the kind of gear that I can provide as well, which is another thing. Um, and I'm I try to be as clear as I can about what the advantages and the drawbacks are to each one. If you want a smaller setup, you could go with, you know, say you only need two or three wireless and say you only need one boom and say you don't even need a separate, you know, with, with, you know, with a lot of the digital cameras now, maybe instead of me actually recording it myself, maybe I am literally just sending, sending a stereo feed onto the camera and that's, that's the only audio source. Um, the advantage to that for for production obviously is that brings the cost way down because you're not talking about nearly as much gear um the drawback is that you have way fewer options uh later on in post um but you know it's a perfectly viable way of doing things certainly mm-hmm. um and again it really is it, it's just a question of finding finding what works if you're looking for, you know, from a gear perspective, the nice thing about gear pricing is that we have, 
we have these rental houses out there. We have Gotham. We have ProSound. We have other, pl- you know, personally don't like mentioning them because they don't take care of their sound gear. Okay. Um, well, good to know. That's anyway. good to know, too. Yeah, um, those are the good things to know. But, uh, you know, you have these, these companies out there that that's their job is to rent gear. So you can always at least start with that to get a basic idea. You know, once you figure out what kind of gear you need, and they'll tell you, oh, yeah, 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 this is what it is. This is what we, this is what kind of deal we can give you. Um, and the reality is, is that um, the best I can hope for is to sort of match whatever the best deal that a place like Gotham could give for the same gear. Ah, so researching and seeing what gear costs is, is beneficial for from a production makers. standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Look at look at the rental houses, and you can you can call them up and you can say, hey, this is the package that I'm looking to rent. What's the best deal you can you can do for me on that? You know, and you you got to make sure that you tell them that this is you know you've got to go to your boss and get it approved, and it's not a definite thing, but you're you're researching, you're pricing. you're pricing it out exactly. Um, and if they, you know, once you've got that, then that gives you a good starting point. Mm-hmm. You know that that means you know that if the worst case scenario happens, if you cannot find a sound mixer with their own gear willing to do your project, and you have to rent gear. And you know that this is the minimum amount of gear that you need, then you now know that that is what you're going to have to pay in the worst case scenario. At that point, you know, and, and again, I have to deal with this as a sound guy because um, I know that's in some respects that's my competition. You know, um, if if I get contacted to do a job, and uh, you know, I'll tell them, well, this is. This is more or less what Gotham would charge for this rate. I can give you this kind of discount on top of that because, of course, I I want them to use my gear instead of just saying, "Well, for the same money, why don't we just go with you know that?" Um, because that doesn't include someone running it for you. That's the problem. No, well, that's why there's there's labor and there's gear, right. which are which are two separate things. And a lot of times, a lot of times they do try to get squeezed together into one thing. I I, I find that happening a lot uh, where you know. This is the rate for both you and for the gear. And the rate itself for the day oftentimes sounds good, but then when you break it out into like, well, if this is what the gear would cost through that, then that's only leaving this much. And it does. I'm not going to, you know, personally, there is that little bit of like, it feels a little, you know. But at the same time, you also have to understand, from my perspective, you also have to understand what the project is and where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, treat every project the same you can't just say yep this is my day rate that's what it is take it or leave it some people probably do um and that's fine as well i i tend not to because i like working because i would rather work than not work because you know from my perspective even if i'm doing a day literally just yesterday i did a day uh it was a sizzle and uh Anytime I heard the weird, anytime I hear the word sizzle, I know <laughs> that that means, you know, fifty percent uh, of what I would typically expect or less, because, you know, eh, you know, it's not for broadcast. This is just, you know, this is like a teaser. We're trying to, you know, blah blah blah, get funding, whatever it is that they're trying to do with it. Um, but sizzle in my head becomes short shorthand for really 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 no money (laughs) um 
but so I know that. So I know that going into it and I, you know, we, we talk about it and I approach it from that perspective. And, and again, if it's a project that I'm really excited about, I am going to be way more likely to work with the production and say, yeah, you know, you tell me what it is that you think you can do. You're here, I'm here, and let's find that spot in the middle. middle. You know. Do you find that a lot of sound people do um, do that? That they um, that they negotiate costs depending on the project and their interest in it? I have no idea. Yeah. And 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 the <laughs> truth of the matter is, you know, it's funny when, um, like, for example, when I first started getting into reality, uh, and this was like ten years ago, my my very first reality show was um, the first season of America's Next Top Model. And we had um, five camera crews, each one with a mixer. So we had five mixers that were all, you know, each crew staggered during the day. Um, but I got to, that's how they were done. We had these little walk around mixers that again, we weren't, we weren't recording anything ourselves. We were just sending it on, to, sending the feed onto the camera. And that's where the audio was recorded. Um, and that was the only thing we could do to even approximate a a uh, uh, any sort of multi-track situation is that if there were if there was some scene where you know three or four of the mixers were all there at the same time then we'd all talk to each other and say all right I'll take these two cast members you take those two you take those two you take those two and then when it was all said and done we gave them a like sort of artificial a track as opposed to you know four separate stereo mixes where they couldn't play around with it at all right um, but the reason I mentioned that is because that was me and four other sound mixers that I got to know and work with. And, um, with the advent of, you know, with the advent of, of the portable multi-track systems, um, the, you know, the 788 certainly being primarily, but you know, there's a whole slew of them now. Um, suddenly productions are no longer looking to hire audio teams. They're mostly hiring one person to do all of it because you are you've got eight tracks of recording so you can put seven wires in a boom which is going to cover probably 90 percent of all the situations that you're going to find yourself in shooting wise and they don't need production doesn't need to hire anybody else they can hire one person and effectively do the work of what used to take four people to do mm. um so as a result of that, and again, I'm not saying that begrudgingly, that's, it makes total sense. But what it means is that I don't bump into other sound mixers as much as I used to. Yeah. So I, you know, I, like I, I bump into way more camera guys than I do, than I do sound guys. Um, that being said, I can't imagine, I can't imagine that people don't do that. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. I, I'm sure there are some that do take a hard line with it and are just like, nope, this is my rate, take it or leave it. And if they have gotten to the point where they can do that and still pay their bills at the end of the month, power to them. Like, God bless them. I am happy for them that they've been able to <laughs> get to that point. Um, I still, you know, I still have that, that freelance mosquito in my ear that's constantly like, if you don't figure out something and take this job, you know, who knows when the next one's gonna yeah. come? Like that <laughs> oh, still that is mosquito. part of yeah. Yes, that um, mosquito is a little bastard. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, for me, um, almost to my financial detriment, I would say I'm almost too quick to always point out 
hey, listen, everything's negotiable. Like we can right. we can work it all out. Um, you know, money's a money's a tricky thing on on set, and no one wants to like. I have made it a point my whole my whole professional career. I don't want to know what other people are making, um, because ultimately, no good comes of that. Mm-mm. You know, either if you're making the same, then there's no point to the conversation. And if one of you is different than the other, then one of you is going to be upset and pissed off. So there's no point. I have no desire to know what anyone else is making. What I do want to know is, um, you know, am I getting, am I, do I feel like I'm getting a fair, a fair shake yeah. from the whole thing? Yeah. So you as know. long as you feel like the, you're satisfied with, with what you're getting from, yeah. then, then that's the payment. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it, case in point again. So, uh, I mentioned it before this, this show that I did three seasons of, um, recently, uh, first season was a much lower rate than, than I would have normally charged for it. Um, partly because when they budgeted it, uh, they hadn't, talk to me ahead of time to talk about what kind of gear we actually needed. And they budgeted it for a much smaller package, much smaller gear. And, and there was no way they, they, I won't get in the specifics of it, but it was a much smaller gear, obviously a much cheaper rental. Um, and that's what they, that's the budget that got approved. And that's what they said. All right. This, so this is what it is. And for the first season, I was like, all right, I get that. I'm kind of I'm kind of into the project. I want to do it anyway. Um, I can I can do it for that rate, even though I mean we're talking it was close to half the cost of what that of what that gear the gear that I wound up using mm-hmm. should have been should have been almost twice what what the gear was that they were that they were doing. Um, and I was like, all right, that's that's cool for you know. And again, first season, let's get in, let's make nice, let's make a good show bring it back for the second season. And then that's when you hope that everyone gets their back scratched a little bit. Uh, and not so much as it turns out, <laughs> I mean a little bit, but not so much at all. And, and when that happens, that's where I think people start getting frustrated is when they start seeing money there to be spent, mm-hmm. you know, um, I I look at finances in a and again I've never been a producer so I'm I I I don't know how informed my opinion on this actually is, but I always liken a project whether it's a film a TV show whatever you're doing, it's kind of like sitting down at a at a at a blackjack table. If you want to just sit down at the quarter table and play quarters and you know maybe maybe you hit maybe you lose whatever else and you have fun with it that's fine. At the end of the day, even at a really successful session, maybe this means I play too much blackjack. But, um, <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, if you're sitting at the quarter table, you're gonna walk away with a few bucks in your pocket, and that's yeah. it. You know, if you've got a project that you are actively, you know, trying to turn it into something like big, especially from a financial standpoint, if you're looking for it to be something, you need to look at it as an investment, and you need to go sit down and play at the hundred dollar table. And yes, that does mean to me that does mean that yes, there is a greater chance that you 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 might miss out on things if the project 
doesn't become as successful as you need it to be. That's the payoff for for a TV show or for a movie is is how how successful is it from that point? How much notoriety does it get? How does it how does the audience respond to it? Um, not necessarily a financial payoff, obviously, mm-hmm. but that's ultimately what you're looking for is is how do people react to it? Is it a positive reaction? And if you want to maximize your chances of that payoff being as big as possible, well, then you need to invest in it as best you can at the start. You know, if you start hedging your bets and and half-assing it at the beginning, you're limiting the potential payoff to it later on. Because at the end of the day, when you are done in the field and you are, find yourself in the studio bay trying to trying to put the whole thing together... You know, I, I use this example a lot with, with waiting for planes and helicopters. And thankfully, people don't usually get too frustrated about this anymore. But there was a stretch where people would get furious about this. And, and you know, like, what do you, what do you, I'm sitting there, what do you want me to do? Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, two weeks after production is done and, and you're trying to edit the project, no one's going to care or remember that you had to wait five extra minutes. No one, and, and while money is obviously a little bit different, my suspicion is that you're not going to notice too much if you've already spent that money to get a better product you know when you're trying to put it all together because then you have what it is that you need to put it together the way you want what you will notice is if you're trying to put a scene together or trying to edit something and you don't have what you really want and if you can look back and say oh we don't have that because xyz because we didn't get this piece of equipment or because we didn't you know find a better location it still may mean that you had no choice and then you just live with it and that's understandable and all right maybe next time but i would think most people would be kind of kicking themselves if they're like well great okay so i've got you know an extra 500 bucks in my pocket or something like that i could have had this much better, much better product, mm-hmm. which the therefore it. could have returned. Which, that yeah, from a financial plus. standpoint, yeah. easily could have returned more. But even it, even again, even the payoff doesn't always have to be a financial one. Mm-hmm. You know, especially for 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 small budget indie film type of things. You're looking. My my impression is has always been that for the low budget stuff, the main payoff that you're looking for is people to to notice it for people to appreciate it and and uh it's not a financial gain that you're getting out of it so much as it is a a a, a reputation mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. and uh notoriety you know yeah. that kind of well, payoff yeah and people connecting to it yeah. and talking about it yeah and actually sure. having a film that impacts people yeah. which is usually in the indie world more of what you're concerned about and yes. not that's why you're not in the commercial world or yes. you're just not there yet yeah yeah. For sure. Well, awesome. Sure. I think we had, did we cover all the questions that we had? So. I think we did. Tell people where they can find you, Seth. So yeah. if they wanted to hire you for their project, where could <laughs> they go? Um, <laughs> man, I, well, it, uh, the easiest place to reach me um, is uh, Dubway Studios. Uh, I work through them, uh, heading up their location department. Um, uh can tell I'm not very good at promoting myself uh, or them, but uh, <laughs> they are. Uh, which is, sorry, guys, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Um, no, Dubway Studios. Uh, they've been around for uh, for quite some time. You probably know better than I do. Well, well um, better, but yes, yes. <laughs> they've been around for a while. Been for a while. And uh, and 
you know, we a few years back, I partnered with uh, with Al, uh, who runs them, runs the studios. They basically did everything except location, and I do almost exclusively location to the point where <laughs> I wanted to really get more into studio stuff and, and expanding myself that way. So uh, we we kind of scratch each other's back a little bit here. And uh, it's it's been a really awesome partnership so far. And um, yeah, Dubway, DubwayStudios.com or Dubway.com. Um, uh, check them out, look them up, and uh, you can definitely reach reach me through there as well as the rest of our team. We've got... Uh, We've got a number of really super talented studio mixers and location guys uh, that that are all ready to go. Awesome. Well, that's great. great well, know. thank you so much, yeah, Seth, for taking for... the time to come and talk to us about our sound and needs. And thanks my... for your expertise and yes, yes. sharing your stories. My, my <laughs> pleasure. I hope I wasn't too uh, too rambling all over the place. No, right. I, I love will... that bus story. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the mental image is stuck in my mind. For sure. Well, thank awesome. you so much. And thank you guys for listening. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Good luck. <laughs> we'll meet it. This is our feature update. Where we're at, where we stand, and why we're doing this. Yeah, pretty much in a nutshell. So essentially, we wanted to keep you guys updated on our progress as we chug along on our first feature train. Um, And I guess the first thing that we need to clarify is why we decided to do this and why we're doing it with the podcast. Because we're insane. Well, that, um, <laughs> I think most of the people who have ever listened to the podcast probably have a little inkling of that already. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, these ladies are crazy. Uh, so we wanted to, one of the biggest themes from all of our guests is just do it, just make the work and do it and learn and grow. And sometimes we get, we think about stuff too much and we don't take action. So Leslie and I were like, we need to take action and we need to share it with our audience to hopefully help inspire you to take action towards the stories you want to tell. Right, exactly. And that's, Elise does a really good job of explaining that. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll be giving you updates right now. Um, Our script, we have a complete outline for our feature film and we are currently calling it My Mother's Daughters. Right. Titles, I feel like, are one of the hardest parts of writing. And it might change. Yeah. You know? So that's what it's called as of today. Right now, (laughs) October, whatever day it is. Mm. Early October. Early October. October 6th. There we go. October 6th. That's that's, that's the name our story. Of it. Um, there's three writers. It is Kelly Ray and Stacy Wexstein and myself, and we have been collaborating. So what happened was this summer we um, made a bunch of short films through Manhattan Film Institute, which I highly recommend. Um, where Kelly had a film made that she wrote and she acted in. Um, she also had another film she was in. Stacy was in two films, and then I directed and acted in my own film. And we were driving back from film camp, basically, and we decided we were going to write a feature. And so this is the feature. Right. And um, Elise kind of, like, approached me and said, because we had discussed before, like, oh, we want to create our own work, right? We want to have something and then take our podcast audience along on the journey. And she approached me and said, hey, do you want to do this with me? And I was like, Sure. <laughs> well, and originally, Leslie, we were thinking about doing a, like a web, a web series, series, which would probably be smarter, <laughs> honestly, you guys, yeah. right now. But I especially, and I think of, um, I think of um, 
Adrienne Lovett. I don't remember oh, yeah. what episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how she just like jumped in and made her first feature. Yeah. And that's why I said, Leslie, let's just make it a feature. Right. Why not? And let's do it. So thank you, Adrienne, for inspiring us. <laughs> thank Shout you, Adrienne, and all of our previous guests that have kind of put us on this path to making it happen. Um, so sh- um, Elise is working on the script. Um, I'm going to be a part of the um, production team as well as We're- probably have like a... A little bit role. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> Leslie has a role. But we're putting Leslie's amazing organi- organization skills to, well, to the test. We'll see. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, so right now, essentially, where we are is we are in some pre-pre-production meetings, script writing, of course. Um, phase is what you guys are working on. Um, yes. And we're in the process of kind of putting together our team figuring out who's going to work with us. Because since we decided to do this, you know, Apparently, you have to have a little bit of money in order to make a film. This is this something that I'm learning what? about. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out what that means. Or yeah. how we're going to do that. Are we going to fundraise? Are we going to do some small campaign? Are we going to hope and pray that people love us enough to, um, to give us a little bit of money? Um, are we going to... Um, find an investor we, we yeah, don't know yet we have no freaking idea so that's kind of where we are is this conversation of budget which i think is one of the hardest conversations because it's it's uh you not only have to kind of have an idea of it in order to to figure out exactly what you need um as far as crew and what you can pay for and what kind of locations you can have and all of that um even though you guys have written specifically so that it will help with budget. It's- yeah, we're trying to write it location-wise. We Parts of it, it's funny because you start writing and you get your imagination takes over. Oh, that's always my problem. And <laughs> so it's like finding this balance of making a story and telling a story authentically, but also keeping in mind budget and what is actually feasible. And again, for us, it's about this process of learning and experimenting. And you guys as an audience are going to see all of our dirty laundry hung out to dry oh yes it's gonna be stanky (laughs) (laughs) because we don't know what we're doing we're like a bunch of actors making a feature but we're talking to experts you have to give us a little bit more credit than that we've all had experience some way shape or another but it is definitely not our forte yes for sure yes (laughs) we haven't and none of us have been on the organizational side of making a feature happen from start to finish. No. So, but that's why we're bringing on expert guests to ask some questions. And if you guys have questions and you're making your own work and you're stuck with something or you're unsure of something, please email us at nothingshineslikedirt at gmail.com. We will ask our guests questions that come up for you as well because we want to know what you guys have questions about and are having trouble with and they're probably some of the same questions that we'll have so um we want to be able to help you and help us and it's it's this is just a this is just a we're all rising up together of love So I think that's where we're at right now. Yeah. And we'll keep you posted from now until our next episode. What's going on with my mother's daughters. And, and good luck to all of you out there too. Making yeah. your own stuff. All right. And we'll, we'll, we'll be back soon with more experts and with more updates. Bye guys. Bye guys. <laughs>